Would you please stand if you're able for the reading of God's word? See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. Glad you're here. Um, you know, being around Thanksgiving and just reminiscing and Thanksgiving and everything before I get into my opening. I was on the way here uh, to church and remembering fondly singing some songs back in the day and maybe in my early 20s with Teresa from a, a group that uh, I believe it was Maranatha and they sang a psalm from Psalm 5. It's a, it's a good psalm, just opening prayer. So let's pray. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray, my voice shalt thou hear in the O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayers unto thee, and will look up. We look to you, God. We're a needy people. We need your strength and your protection and your help and your healing. We look up to you today and we look into your word to find the gift of your son, Jesus, 
and that he is all-sufficient for every one of our needs. Use your perfect gift. And we pray that we become more and more dependent upon him and that we trust in you, almighty God, for everything in our lives. May you receive all the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing this study of the apostles, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, where in these verses of chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, it's quite a bit to cover. But in all of uh, this warning that's in this text, it is um, warning against really false teaching that's either happening in some degree and it's going to cover quite a bit through the rest of this chapter and all of it is trying to lead the church away from Christ it's trying to diminish Christ in some way and we'll try to dig into it and try to discover some of what Paul was speaking to them about and the warning that would be to us today so let's look into this I titled this taken captive by Christ taken captive by Christ. Something's trying to take you captive. And teaching is usually not neutral. It's trying to uh, uh, take you into it and persuade you about life and about its meaning. And that's what uh, philosophy was. And so we're going to look into this and see uh, what, how that compares to what Paul warns the church about there uh, with being taken captive by Christ. So Colossians 2.8, this first verse, see to it. This first word line uh, in the Greek, blepo, it means take heed, beware. So it's pretty strong language. It's spiritual warfare type of language. It's take heed, you know, see to it that no one, beware. So it's a beginning, it immediately is a, is a warning here that's coming in this portion of the scripture that no one takes you captive. And this phrase, takes you captive, uh, is the only time that this particular word is used in the Greek in the whole of the Bible. It's unique, this takes you captive. Paul uses this word. Uh, commentators discuss what this word uh, means and how it was used then and what it would mean now. And it has to do with being led away as booty, led away, seduced, carried away as spoil. And so the warning here is that there's a warfare going on uh, to take you captive, to carry you away. So teaching is not neutral. There's <clears throat> warnings and there's kingdoms at war trying to convince you to belong to that kingdom. <clears throat> the warning is... Uh, not to let this teaching take you captive or carry you off as spoil, uh, the spoils of war. We're Christians and we no longer belong to the domain of darkness, but to the kingdom of God's Son. We've looked at that from Colossians 1. Uh, way back in my earlier 20s, my 15 minutes of fame happened way back then in a sermon called Kingdom Transfer. And uh, I still have friends call and talk to me about it. 
and uh, it was based on that Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And I titled that Kingdom Transfer. So <clears throat> we're no longer <clears throat> in the domain of darkness, in the kingdom of darkness. We've been transferred in the kingdom of his beloved son, but that does not mean that the kingdom of darkness and the king of darkness isn't still trying to persuade you to come back into his kingdom. Still trying to war. There's still a war going on, and that war's done a lot through, uh, through philosophy, by philosophy and empty deceit. But what does Paul mean, not being taken captive, this captive theology? Uh, Paul many times uses this language of himself. He describes himself as a prisoner of Christ. Uh, this word desmois in the Greek describes a person who's bound and linked to or, or a captive of somebody else. That's how Paul refers to himself. I'm a captive of Christ. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I've been taken captive by him. Paul also says that he's a slave or a servant. The scriptures say servant, bond slave, bond servant. We try to translate it in these a little bit easier words of servant, bond slave, bond servant, but it's slave. It's the word when Paul opens up Romans 1.1, he says, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. This is how he opens to describe himself. He's saying he's being taken captive. He's been taken captive by Christ. He explains this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And he says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are not your own, he says. You've been purchased. You've been bought with a price. He's telling that to the Corinthians. And here he's saying the same thing. See to it. Beware. Take heed. Do not be led astray. Do not be carried off as spoiled. Do not be seduced by false philosophies and empty deceit. NIV says hollow and shallow uh, philosophies. It's a type of philosophy. It's not that all philosophy is wrong. Philosophy is uh, just means phileo, like, you know, love of, of wisdom, a lover of wisdom. But it's empty philosophy. It's philosophy uh, with empty deceit. It is deceiving. It's structured in a way to be deceiving. This philosophy is trying to explain the fundamental basis where knowledge and reality or truth come from. This philosophy uh, that is being introduced to uh, the Colossians could be both of Greek nature, which they had a lot of Greek uh, philosophy, but they also had Jewish type of philosophy. That word philosophy was used both by Jews and Greeks. We don't know specifically exactly what the Apostle Paul was referring to that was happening here, but we know that whether it was coming from, and most likely, as we get into the rest of the chapter, it's going to be a mixture of both Jewish and Greek philosophy is brought in. That Paul's re warning that this type is deceitful, it's empty, and it's hollow. See, Paul had just said in Colossians 2.3 that God's mystery is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, like dig into Christ 
and who he is. And yet this introduction is saying that these teachings are trying to lead you away from Christ in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are to find another wisdom and knowledge. A Christ either plus or diminishing of Christ. Yes, you all are Christians with this, but let me tell you the more. Let me tell you the deeper mystery that you don't know about. And these deeper mysteries centered around the next point of the verse, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition. So we know that it had to do with tr tradition. It had to do with human tradition. It had to do with a deep uh, uh, history. And it was very reasoning, used big words. It had a lot of meaning in it. It wasn't something that, uh, you know, it was something that did captivate people, did take them captive, get them to listen. And as they were, what is this, uh, basically, that we can understand according to human tradition? It's a human tradition that depends on humanity and hum, hum, humans' revelation of what they believe of where the meaning of life comes from. And this is what it was based on. Its origin will always usually leave God out, leave Christ out in God's gift, and it will diminish who Christ is. Might say, yes, Christ, but that's not all. There's a deeper mystery when the Bible has explained that God's mystery is in Christ and in him alone. It will be a Jesus plus or a Jesus diminishing and a leaning on human tradition, which always will run contrary to God's mystery that's revealed in Christ. We get this very distinctly in more modern times with Mormonism, uh, you know, deeply a revelation that came to uh, Joseph Smith and these golden tablets and angels and him writing a whole book and creating a whole philosophy of, of something that was revealed to him, you know, and it's, and it's built on uh, persecution through them, being cast out and deeply bonding. And so these philosophies can get deep into human tradition. And these are some examples. James 3 says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above. And usually these false philosophies are saying they've had some kind of revelation that's come down, you know, some angel, some being, something has happened in them. But James is talking about this false wisdom. This wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, also translates that natural, natural according to man's, man's traditions. And then he uses the word demonic. This is from James. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, from God in and through Jesus Christ, but it's earthly, unspiritual, natural, and demonic. What is this source? The source of where this philosophy and teaching is coming from, the Apostle Paul is warning. Does it come just out of human means? human tradition or does it come down from Christ above and is in Christ alone this is what he's asking God's revelation is in his son the apostle Paul has just said the mystery of God if you want to know mystery is unfolding in Jesus or is it human revelation human tradition is it just earthly unspiritual natural according to the traditions and that can lead us into the backing behind that, which James even brings out, is demonic. So 
when Jesus talked about loving not the world, neither the things, you know, not loving the world, being captive by the world, he was warning, too, about demonic forces behind the things that are coming against God and God's people. And he uses this next phrase, the Apostle Paul, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Now, a lot of translations are trying to translate that. That's the best one <laughs> out of all of them, trying to explain what this is. The elemental spirits of the world. So you're being captive, this philosophy is according to that. And, and this basically means it's demonic in nature, not just human tradition, but it's demonic. It's component of this type of philosophy is trying to take you captive. And you might be unaware, Paul's warning, be aware, see to it that no one takes you captive through this type of empty, deceitful philosophy that, that is backed by the elemental spirits of this world that's demonic in its nature rather than according to Christ. The question is rather according to Christ, that this, these are being you're being taken captive not according to Christ. Paul's question here, for me, when I get to this place, I ask, who has taken you captive? Who are you captivated by and by what holds you, keeps you? In 2 Corinthians 2.14, the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. What is Paul referring to here? Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. What does triumphal procession mean? And in the time of ancient Rome, they would have a general, and if he conquered and won a battle well, it had to meet all of these great qualifications, had to kill so many of the enemy, usually had to kill, capture the king, drag him back with so many prisoners and he had to be a great general of renown already it couldn't be a luck thing where somebody just accidentally won a great battle it had to be just this great so they'd have this processional they would have this triumph they even just called it a triumph or a triumphal procession and they'd bring uh, the captives back and they'd plan it in Rome and they had a certain route that they would always take through Rome and it was very uh, just honoring and distinguished the highest honor you could get. And everybody would come out for it. It was a great parade of a great general. And they would parade in all of the spoils that were taken captive. Silver, gold, everything. But the main prize was uh, the captive of the slaves that they were bringing back for Rome. The ones that they could bring back captive. And especially if they could capture the king or ruler of that region. So they had add that was another qualification. They had to add lands to, to Rome, uh, to under their kingdom. And they'd lead them in this triumphal procession, and the general would come last. But during this procession, uh, you know, the slaves and hiking all this way, uh, you know, wherever they had come from, uh, there was a bad odor. You know, there was a stink. So there was all these incenses burning and 
fragrances, and Rome was big on uh, perfumes, fragrances, flowers, petal, uh, potpourri, all this stuff soaked in incense, so the smell and the fragrance would come out and cover over that to, to arrive at the general coming in, and there'd be this great honor, this triumphal procession. And Paul's using that here, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. When Christ has taken you captive, he alone has won your heart. He leads you in triumphal procession, and you are his you're his slave. You're dragged. You're uh, covered by his fragrance, the fragrance of the aroma of his love, of his sacrifice that he offered. And, and when they would get to the end, most times they would sacrifice these slaves. They would kill them, uh, and especially if they had the king. They would kill him in front of everybody like he was victorious. But Jesus leads us in triumphal procession, and he dies for his slaves, his aroma of the cross and his blood covers us in his fragrance. And we follow him willingly and we live. We live with him. And Paul's saying, Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Paul, using this Roman triumph as a metaphor, explains these key elements of the great victory that God has accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ. The victorious general Jesus himself. He's won the complete victory over Satan and over his guilt of sin. And that is where our text ends. I'm going to leap through some verses, come back to them, and go to Colossians 2, 14 and 15. All the spoils, all the victory is in Jesus the wisdom of God is Christ and his cross. Now, this is profound uh, in the, uh, Corinthians. He says that to Jews, this is a stumbling block, that Jesus, the Messiah, would die on the cross. And he says to the Greeks and all of the other rest of the Gentile world, it was foolishness that the answer of the wisdom of God would be in the cross. But Paul goes on to say, but to those who believe, to those who are saved, uh, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So for us who believe the cross is the wisdom of God, it is the fragrance of God, that this was God's mystery, this was God's plan all along. And Colossians 2, 14, 15 says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, when he set it aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him through the cross Ooh, yeah amen hallelujah you had to be fought for you had to be won uh, and you were fought for and won by jesus and he's taken you as the spoils of war that the that legally you had sinned the wages of your sin was death you were held captive to sin and death by the rulers and authorities of the kingdom of darkness when paul lists lists rulers and authorities and when he does in ephesians he defines it out he lists that you're you're wrestling against rulers and authorities and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places he describes it in a, a longer more detail what he's talking about 
Jesus took our sin. He, he fulfilled uh, and filled in what he did. Jesus took our sin-filled record and nailed it to the cross. There were legal demands of the law that every one of us had broken, the holy standards of God, and we could not meet them. And Jesus took those and he nailed them in his own body to that tree. He took our fallen, sinful record and he gives us through the cross his perfect record of righteousness to God. It's beautiful. It's the wisdom of God. It's the way that God, it's the mystery of God, the way that he planned to redeem humanity. This is our Christian faith. We've been bought with the blood of Christ that he shed upon the cross. And we follow him. We're his soldiers. We're his slaves. We've been captivated by his love and taken captive by him. And we joyfully rejoice to be his slaves. Our king died for us. Our general gave his life for us. First Peter says it this way in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. All other wisdom. This is beautiful, Peter. (laughs) Nothing else could purchase you. That was the wisdom of God. Nothing else could redeem you. Nothing else could ransom you and pay the ransom and take you from a captivity, pay the ransom, and bring you into his captivity except his own blood, the precious blood of Christ. All other wisdom is futile. It's empty. It's hollow. It's from the traditions of men, and it's ultimately demonic if it's not according to Christ. In him is the emphasis in these middle verses, verses 9 through 13. It's this union, this mysterious union with Christ that you have. This would be your salvation. This would be uh, the term Jesus gave to Nicodemus. You must be born again. It's entering into the kingdom of God. It's this supernatural experience that needs to happen in your life to even see the kingdom in truth and reality to open your blind eyes to see the true and living God and the gift of his son Jesus Christ means that you must come into a oneness with Christ, a union with him. So I want you to listen to these six and seven times that it uses this word in him, in him, in him, or with him. It's actually the same uh, word. In the Greek, so it could say in, 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 in all seven times, or it could say with, with, with. It's the same word when you read it in the Greek. For in him, verse 9 of Colossians 2, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Why would you want to be captive by anyone else? In Christ, all of the deity of God dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. He's the head of all rule and authority. Why would you want to be taken captive by any other rule or authority? In him, verse 11, you you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. This is supernatural. By putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 
having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead and you were dead in your sins and trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. We are in union with Christ. We are in union with Christ alone. He is the wisdom from above who has come down from above, and in him the fullness of deity dwells. He was full of the Spirit, and the Spirit was given to Jesus without measure. He is the exact representation of the Father. Why would we want to be taken captive by any other? He is the head of all rule and authority, so why would we want to be taken captive by someone lesser? Christ is supreme. He is preeminent. He is above all, and only he can make me clean. This is the wisdom of God, the cross. And relating to and coming into union with the death and resurrection of Christ. In Christ lays the salvation. In our baptism, it represents having been buried with him in baptism is identifying with the death of Jesus. Jesus died so that I could die with him. I have been crucified with Christ. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I no longer live. I have been crucified with Christ. You see that death in Christ, we die so we can identify with the death of Christ. In this baptism here, I have been crucified with Christ, but it is no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. At this baptism, we die, we're buried with Christ, but we're also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. God raised Jesus, and in that same power, he raises believers through faith. And in placing our faith in him and with him and union with him, he's able to, this is the wisdom of God, forgive us of all of our trespasses against God's holy standard, God's holy law that we've broken. He's able to forgive us of all of our trespasses, trespasses against God's holy law. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 15, Paul says the love of Christ controls us. What controls us now? What captivates us? The love of Christ, this love of the gospel, this love of even our baptism in which I identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus. That love of Jesus now controls us. It's captivated us. Christ has taken us captive. He's leading us in that triumphal procession. And we constantly smell the fragrant aroma of what he is to God. Covering over, wiping over our sin. Cleaning our sin, forgiving us of all of our trespasses. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15 goes on to say that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but live for him who for their sake died and was raised. Again, we no longer live for ourselves. A lot of people say, oh, I'm not captive of darkness, or I'm not captive of Jesus. I'm just, you know, I'm captive of myself. And it's the same thing. That's the spirit of darkness. <laughs> You know, to get you to be captive to yourself. But Paul says we no longer live for ourselves. We live for him who's purchased us and bought us with his precious blood. 
in uh, one of the devotional commentary books that I'm reading by Kent Hughes uh, on his commentary on Colossians, The Supremacy of Christ. He writes one of the, uh, records one of the letters that is in C.S. Lewis's book, Letters to Children. So C.S. Lewis got tons of letters and he would sit down and write letters back, uh, mostly to children. He would respond to those letters. And in one of the letters, he's returning a letter from a little girl. He says, Dear Ruth, many thanks for your kind letter. It was very good of you to write and tell me that you like my books. And what a very good letter you write for your age! Exclamation point. If you continue to love Jesus, nothing much can go wrong with you, and I hope you may always do so. And I think in that simplicity of that letter, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. See to it no one takes you captive by anything except according to Christ and nothing much will go wrong in your life what does that mean he comments he says what you think of Christ your conception of him is everything so that's what we're talking about what you think of Christ is everything if you believe in Jesus Christ that he is eternal without beginning and without end think of Colossians 1 15 through 20, those verses, that hymn, that he is eternal without beginning, without end, that he always was continuing. If you believe that he is creator of everything, every cosmic speck across trillions of light years of trackless space, the creator of the textures and the shapes and colors which dazzle your eyes, if you believe that he is the sustainer of all creation. Remember Colossians 1, he holds all things together, the sustainer of all creation, the force which is presently holding the atoms of your body together, holding this town together, holding the universe together, and that without him everything would dissolve, I like disintegrate, fall apart, without him holding it together. If you believe that he is the mystery the incarnate reconciler who will one day reconcile the universe and redeem humanity to himself. If you believe that he is the lover of your soul who loves you with love bounded only to his infinitude, then despite the fact that life will be full of trouble, so what C.S. Lewis was saying to that little girl, then despite the fact that life will be full of trouble, nothing much will go wrong. Really hasn't. You're in Christ. You're in him. Your vision of Christ will quicken and shape your life. What you believe about Christ makes all the difference in the world now and in eternity. This is key. What you believe about Christ, this is our lesson today, affects you now and for all eternity. This love comes from Christ. It's displayed at the cross. It is displayed when we in Christ and in his body, uh, connected to Christ the head, connected to one another, the body of Christ, we're knit together in love. We support one another. We support one another's steadfast faith in Christ 
despite troubles that come our way, we say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and let your faith be unwavering in his love towards you. It's a philosophy of displaying love by and in Christ that is in us who believe and in our love for one another as our hearts, as Paul said earlier in Colossians 1 or Colossians 2, our hearts are knit together in love. This is the Christ we preach. This is the Christ we proclaim. And we're going to take communion together and remember Christ, the wisdom of God, in whom all the treasures are full in Christ. And we're going to remember his death as we take communion together. Come and take a cup that has bread in the bottom of it and return to your seat and we will pray over the communion and take it together. Please come. that Jesus was betrayed he took the bread and he said take and eat this is my body given for you for the remission of sins let us partake of the bread together manner he took the cup he said this is the blood of the new covenant in my blood given for you for the remission of sins take and drink of it and when you do remember my death until I come let's remember the Lord's death as we partake of the cup together Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. We will sing of the mercies that you poured out, Father, in the giving of your one and only Son, your one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we give you praise for offering up your body, pleasing to the Father, perfect Lamb of God, perfect without blemish, Without stain, holy, perfectly, completely keeping the law of God, satisfying to the Father in perfection, you offered up your body for us upon that tree, upon that cross. 
and you shed your blood, your precious blood, unto death. You gave up your life for us. You're our king who died for us. May we forever praise your name, the name of Jesus, the name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord, and we confess it now. Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. The lips that you gave us, the tongue you gave us, we proclaim Jesus is Lord. Let us praise you as we sing together. Is your body connected to you, Jesus, our head? Over all rule and authority, let us praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise to the Lord. Hallelujah. Please receive this blessing. Father, you've blessed us in Christ Jesus. We live according to Christ and him alone, the hope of our glory, Christ in us. We thank you that we're in him, we're hidden in Christ, and our sins are forgiven. Let us go out and proclaim that freedom from darkness and that we are held captive by a king who died for us. And let us go out and bring light to this dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.